0: This episode is sponsored by Ruby's Home Store, an award-winning online shop in Australia, selling a wide range of British designer homeware decor, including Union Jack cushions, mugs, bunting and more. www.rubyshomestore.com.au Remember to use the code Australian at the checkout to get 10% off your order. Our next guest was in one of the most iconic British bands of the 70s and 80s.
1: I'm Nick Shepherd. I'm 62 and a half. I've been in Australia since 1994. And when I was younger, much younger, I performed in a band that you may have heard of called The Clash.
0: And if you're not familiar with The Clash, you may have heard some of their songs. London's Calling, Rock the Casbah, and the one that I just can't say without singing the words, Should I Stay or Should I Go?
1: And today I am a Brit-Australian. Well, actually, um, because I was brought up in Bristol, I'm actually a Brit-Australian. Bristolian-Australian. There you go. I should remember that.
0: For the past almost three decades... He's been living a much quieter life here in Australia. So what brought you out to Perth then, Nick?
1: My wife Vicky is Australian. I met her in London. We had two children and I was getting quite frustrated with my career, if you like, because it's not really a career being a musician. It's really difficult. You know, it's like snakes and ladders. You go up and you go back down and you start again, and and that was getting a little bit tedious for me at, at the age of about thirty-two. We talked about it, and she said, "Well, why don't you know? We could move to Australia." It just seemed like a really good idea to do it when the children were young. They were four and two, so they hadn't really established themselves as as English, if you like. I knew a few people who had come here as kids at a later age and they struggled with their identity and the culture and things so I thought well if we're going to do it let's do it now bring them over here and they can grow up Australian
0: had you been to Australia before
1: I think I'd been here about three or four times before we came yeah we'd come out on you know at Christmas we eventually got here in 94
0: and what do you like about Australia what is it that drew you here
1: Well, uh, I I mean, I always remember thinking when I was on holiday, all the great things about this place are free. Like the beach and the weather. And my brother-in-law had a, a, a little tin boat that we used to go crabbing in. And, you know, I just used to think, what a fantastic thing to be able to do. And you don't need to be a millionaire to have a little tinny, you know, and some crab nets. It's a really normal thing here. You know, you can't do that anywhere in England. And I just thought, what a great place for the kids to grow up. So initially it was, yeah, it was the kind of lifestyle and the the fact that there was so much f- kind of freedom, really. Um,
0: but it's a world away from the life that you would have been living in mm. London, the people that you would have been hanging out with.
1: Yeah, well, that, that gets old. There were definite challenges when I got here, lifestyle-wise and and, uh, and culture-wise. But uh I don't regret it for a minute. It wasn't what I left behind so much as what I had to build here. Yes.
0: Yeah. And yeah. and how did you find that you say there were some challenges? What we would you say the challenges were?
1: Um they were they were mainly for me, I guess on a professional level, uh, on a musical level, cultural. You know, I grew up watching Top of the Pops as we all did. And I was exposed via that show and via house parties and via, you know, discos and stuff to Motown and Stax and um, reggae and, and funk and soul, you know. And I don't play that stuff. You know, I play rock and roll music, basically. I'm a punk. But it informs what I do. And I found very quickly that it doesn't inform it certainly didn't inform the first musicians that I met here. So it took me a while to find people who I gelled with. But I'm not talking about like new musical proficiency. I'm not talking about how good you are. I'm talking about what you grew up with. Mm. And that makes a big difference to, to the way you view things and the mm. way you view You know, music is a language. And if you're not speaking the same language with the drummer you're playing with, you're in trouble. And of course, things have changed now because back when I moved here, there wasn't the internet. Uh, in '94, this was a very, very isolated place.
0: How often do you go back to the UK? Well, I,
1: I would say, I, I, on average, I've been back probably every two years.
0: How long do you go back
1: for? A couple of weeks. Yeah. okay. Two or three weeks. Uh, I can't. I, I can't really justify it for less than two weeks. That's enough. For me, I'm, I mean, I, I feel now when I go back, you know, I've been here for 28 years. I feel when I go back, most of the places I go to, I feel a bit like a ghost. You know, I don't really fit in anymore. And I'm not going on a holiday. I'm going back to where I used to live and work. Yeah, it's lovely. But, you know, I've got a full life here. You know, I I, I work, I play music, I DJ. I, you know, I have a, a, a busy full life. And so when I go back, I feel a bit out of sorts in a way. I don't really have much to do with it anymore. And my friends, when I go back, people I know there are working. They've got a busy life, so they can't stop and, you know, hang. My favourite thing to do when I go back is go to Wales, which is where we had a cottage and uh, we used to go there every weekend. So my favourite place to go is there because nothing's changed there. It's the countryside. So I don't feel lost, if you like. I don't feel like a ghost there. I feel really grounded there. London has changed so much. The pub I used to go to was the first place I ever saw CCTV cameras. They were in the toilets to stop the drug deals. It was as rough as guts, I mean, but it was a great pub. You got like, you know, landed gentry looking for drugs, <laughs> dealers selling them drugs and everybody in between, like guys off the market, you know, um uh, dustmen, uh and and you know, desolate people like me, lots of <laughs> lots of musicians, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, just having a great time in this smoky Irish pub called the Earl of Warwick. And it's not even called the Earl of Warwick now. I think it's now called the Warwick and it's all shabby chic and guys with neck tattoos making pims for uh, Yummy Mummies, you know. It's yeah. changed like you wouldn't believe. So I sat in there and, again, you know, I just thought, I don't belong here anymore, you know.
0: So you don't miss it.
1: What you miss, I think, is memories. You know, like mm. you, you miss. I mean, you know, but I guess because you've moved physically from somewhere, there's a a line, a delineation. Whereas my friends who live in Bristol and have lived there since they were, you know, a kid, they don't have that. It's, there's there's no there's no cut off point. Like when I go back uh, and I walk into the local. It's like I've never been away for some of them. They don't really see that. They don't see that line. Whereas I do, obviously, because I'm not there. So I miss, yeah, I guess I miss my past, you know. Mm. But but I go back and it's not there. So I, I'm cool with that. You know, I, I've come to realize what's going on now. Even after, I went back after two years being here and I was like, Jesus, it's changed.
0: Mm. You know?
1: Yeah. But it wasn't really it that had changed at that time. It was me.
0: Mm. So,
1: um, yeah, yeah. No, I don't miss it, no.
0: So could you tell me, how did you end up being in The Clash?
1: Well, I, obviously, I'm a guitar player. And I was in a, a punk rock band in the 70s called The Cortinas when I was 17. Carried on playing music and eventually was told by my girlfriend's best friend, actually, girlfriend at the time, that The Clash were auditioning for a new guitar player. So I, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm too busy. I had, a, I had loads of things on the go. And then I organized a rehearsal for one of the bands I was in and no one turned up. And I thought, sod this. I'm fed up with organizing everything. I'm going to go and try and join The Clash and then I won't have to organize anything. They'll, it'll be organized for me and it'll be easy. So I, I rang her up and said, I'll go for an audition. And I got it. Yeah, it was hard work. Um, But at the same time, it was an incredible experience, um, uh, which lasted for two years.
0: So you joined later on, so the Clash already existed and then you joined.
1: Yeah, they they had been playing since about 1976. And um, to be fair, I wasn't an equal member. I was paid by them to do a job. They sacked their guitar player. He wrote the music. Joe Strummer would have wrote the words, but yeah.
0: So I've read that Joe Strummer was a massive icon in the early 80s. He was known for being quite political and quite outspoken. What was he like to work with?
1: Really uh, accommodating, very kind, very uh, no-star trip. Um, I mean, that was the whole point of, you know, what had happened before I joined, is that he didn't want to be a pop star. His, His problem... Was always that uh, he didn't want to be what he was, which was a pop star, (laughs) you know, which was a very successful uh, band, you know, and the the lead guy in a very successful band. And by sacking, you know, his main songwriting partner, he became the figurehead for that band, the sole figurehead, and that made it very difficult for him. It gave him a lot of a lot of contradictions that he didn't like, but he didn't take them out on us.
0: Good. Oh, that's nice Mm. to hear. That's really nice that you had, you know, a good experience with the band. Yeah. And um, did you keep in touch with Joe and the others after the band broke up? Yeah, sporadically,
1: yeah. He, interestingly, came to Perth for one of the big day outs, I think the year before he passed away, and stayed on and we hung out and it was really nice. And, um, And we showed him around and took him to the beach and, you know,
0: is that the last time you saw him? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. And, you know, I kind of wrote to him a couple of times, emailed him a couple of times after that, and he sent me a postcard and then boom. Yeah, very sad. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Have you ever been recognised here in Australia?
1: People come up sometimes and talk about it, yeah. Most of the time, initially, people will go, no, you weren't. You know, like it would be like, he was never in the clash, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm not one of the original members. I'm not the, I'm not, yeah.
0: Did people, were you more recognised back in the UK than what you would be here?
1: I really don't know. I don't think, I don't think I was particularly recognised. Because
0: uh, London's quite an anonymous place. Isn't it, it is, can yeah.
1: Be? The only time I, I just remember twice in, in London before I moved here being, being pounced on by Italians. Apart from, and then there was one time towards the end of me being in the band when someone beat me up because <laughs> oh. I was in the Clash. No. Yeah, probably because I'd taken their favourite songwriter's place or something. I don't know. But but yeah, not really, I'm not really, you know.
0: Do you like that though? Do you like the anonymity, anonym, how do you say that? Mm. <laughs> anonymity Anonymity, yeah. Anonymity,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, really. I mean, it, sometimes it's quite, it can be a bit cringy, you know, and people come up to you and start off. It's a bit embarrassing, yeah, but not. I mean, it, it's you kind of, it's not massive. I'm not, it's not like a, it's not like it happens. I'm not, I'm not Beyonce, you know. Um, oh,
0: but Nick, like it's such an incredible thing. I mean, you've played music in front of crowds of. of- I
1: think the biggest crowd was about 75,000. but Goodness yeah, me. It's, that's great. And that, but that's something that I've done and I love it, you know, and I still do it. And I, to be honest, I get as much enjoyment out of playing. 50 people in a pub I mean 75,000 people the first row is about 20 foot away from you so it's very hard to make any real connection the smaller the room the more connection you have with the people true you know but the bigger the room the more they act as one like you know if you've got 75,000 people that are standing there who want to see you you've pretty much got it made as soon as you walk on you don't have to really convince them of anything I remember being in in Paris and our manager, we went to see England play France. Our manager's going, look at that. You know, if if England make a mistake, the half the room scream at them. Whereas you walk on stage and the whole room just lets you get away with murder. As soon as you walk on, he's like, yeah, you know, so.
0: What does that feel like?
1: uh, What does it feel like? Um, it, It can, I mean, you've got a job to do. You get, a real buzz out of it. Yeah, you know? I mean that's why some people love it and some people hate it. I and mean, if you could, if you like the buzz, if you like the um, the adrenaline, then it's fantastic.
0: For some people, moving to the other side of the world is the biggest, bravest thing that they've ever done. For you, you've had some unbelievable experiences, like the ones we've just spoken about, and you know experiences that people can would only dream of, really. Is there anything that you've wanted to do that you wish you had? I don't
1: think so. I don't think there's anything in my control that I've let go or I've let slip. I'm very glad that I moved here. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that is probably one of the, yeah, I'm really, I've, probably the best thing I ever did because my kids uh, had a fantastic childhood, a fantastic education, which I could never have afforded to give them in England. But more than their you know more than their scholastic side of things was their childhood was them being on a tinny catching crabs or at the beach or being able to be out just just in terms of the openness of Australian people compared to English people the way that you know if you walk the dog in the morning you say hello to everyone it just doesn't happen over there in England you know I remember walking down a street I'd got up early I was over there with a friend. In London, because um, I had kids, I got up early and thought, I'll go and get everyone a coffee and a loaf of bread. And I'm walking back with the coffee and the loaf of bread down this little cobbled alleyway, and there's just me and this fellow walking towards me. So I said, morning. And he kind of looked away and sh- quickly shuffled off. And I thought, what's wrong with him? Oh, yeah, he's English, you know. Yeah. So um, that side of thing. I mean, and I guess, you know, if you go to Manchester, that wouldn't happen, or Liverpool, everyone would say hello, you know. And also, they they escaped the horrors of the English class system, mm. which are, you know when you go back and you, you it's like a layer cake, you know. You when you've been away from it and you go back,
0: you forget about it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and you
1: can just see this ridiculous strata thing going on, like a, yeah, like a layer cake of upper middle of this and lower the middle, the you know that is stifling. I think that's one of the the biggest problems the UK has, um, and it you know just it just taints so much of the experience of being there. Um, so I'm so glad to be out of that and away from that and not dealing with that.
0: I was actually going to ask you um, whether when you go back, you feel like you could live there again?
1: No, no, I really don't. I mean, I go back to Wales and I think, well, I could spend some time here, you know, because I'm on top of a mountain with nobody else. I can't see England, you know, I'm 62, I can't see England as a place to grow old. Uh, I really can't, you know, um, I really, I, I really feel for my friends who are over there. I don't see that and especially right now, right now.
0: Do you have any family back there,
1: now? Yeah, I'm going back to see my mum um, and my brother and sister are both there too. I mean, they, you know, they're okay, they've got good lives but I just feel so privileged to be here when I got my uh, citizenship papers, I was a bit blase about it. You know, I'd been here for so long and I went to the uh, town hall and took a seat and Vicky was sitting next to me and in front of us, you know, there was a row of, uh, I think they were from Thailand. It sounded like they were from Thailand and then there were like, you know, guys from the Middle East and guys from all over the world getting citizenships. I just thought, God, you know, what if someone said to me, yeah, no, we're not renewing that visa of yours. You've got to go home. Or, just like all of these people in that room who, you know, like were so happy mm. to get this piece of paper because it meant that they didn't have to go back. I thought, well, what if someone – I'd never thought of that. And I thought, what if someone said to me, you got to go back. You can't stay here. I'd be devastated. I really I really would. You know, I, I feel as much of an economic – refugees they are you know as anybody that comes here I I think I've escaped and have a better life I don't see much difference really uh, other than I wasn't in physical danger the opportunities that I've been afforded here have been amazing you're like you know what I do here for a coin is I have a shop called Elroy Clothing we looked around and went oh there's nothing like that where am I going to buy my clothes oh I'm not okay well I'll open a shop then I won't have to And I think that is the thing. That's what's interesting about immigrants, and that's what we are, is that you bring something, and that's what's important about this country as it's a country of immigrants, and every immigrant that's come here has brought something, be it food, culture. And what me and my wife brought was we we basically sold vintage,
0: Do you have any famous names in your phone book? Do you still keep in touch with people that...
1: Um, Do I have any famous names? Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, but it's... You know, people used to say to me, oh, do you know the Stones then? Do you know Mick Jagger? No, no, I don't. I live in London. He probably lives all over the world, you know. I don't read music. I um, am a guitar player who can write songs and um, sing and... I know other people that can do the same thing or play drums or you know and I don't really have like a list of a-list celebrities in in my phone book uh, I just have a list of people that I've worked with or I've met uh, so no not uh, to be honest no no I don't have a list of you know a list celebrities <laughs>
0: You can find the details of Nick Shepard's clothing store on the Brit Australian website www.britaustralian.com. Hey, it's been a while since I released my last podcast. I've been busy with my new baby, and according to our community on Facebook, he is a baby Brit Australian. But what do you think? Do you need to be born in the UK to be a Brit-Australian? Find us on Facebook and Instagram to join the conversations. When you live abroad, there's something comforting about having a little piece of home. Ruby's Home Store is a delightful, eclectic British and Australian designer homeware store who offer quirky decor and beautiful gifts. The award-winning online shop, which is based on the Central Coast, stock iconic British brands such as Cornishware, Sophie Allport and Emma Bridgewater. They've got plenty of Union Jack cushions, mugs, bunting and more. So if you're looking for that special gift from home, without the delays of shipping from the UK, have a look at Ruby's Home Store. It's run by the lovely Jane, a nurse from Suffolk, who moved to New South Wales in 2009. Jane promises a genuine and caring personal service with quick shipping of your lovingly wrapped quality goodies. Her products, popular with Brits living in Australia, have received multiple five-star reviews. So if you're a Brit living down under, or if you want to send a special gift to somebody in Australia, go to rubyshomestore.com.au and check out their impressive range of quality goods. You can even sign up to receive surprise home decor subscription boxes. Find the link in the description wherever you're listening to this podcast and on the Brit Australian website. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss the next episode.